up, everybody? Welcome to episode 85 of TLDR Podcast. It's the one after the Super Bowl, everybody. Uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, watching the Super Bowl against the Rams and the Bengals. I know I did. My Rams came away with the victory. It was a great day. Spent it with both of you guys. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, so I'm feeling great today. Uh, it's been a very happy victory Monday for myself. Uh, I got, you know, I got Mondays off, so I've, I've, I've been chilling all day. It's been great. Um, James, how are you doing? Uh, just overall thoughts on the game. I, I, I know we'll get into it more later, but how'd you enjoy the day as a whole? How are you and how you're doing uh, today so far? Uh, first of all, I just want to address one thing. Tyler, you got to pick a team, man. You can't stop. You can't continue to call these teams, these two teams, the Eagles and the Rams, your teams. They've both won recently. Mm-hmm. Pick one and stick with it. Because right now you keep saying my team won, and I'm like, yep. your team technically did not win because your team is technically the Eagles. So that you can't logic, say my that team. Logic, right? that logic is I do. I, I do gotta, wonder. It's one of my teams won, not my team. I if do wonder, Tyler. Teams, what does it in matter? A, in an NFC Championship situation, who if both of the teams were in it, who would you who would you go for? Both. Oh obviously, obviously. What a whack job! It's not that. It's not that hard. To, to think about I mean, can you say i mean <laughs> at least he sticks i respect that at least he sticks to his guns you know is what it is people his, hate on it his, but i don't what care. guns <laughs> it is what it his is. arms are toothpicks anyway <laughs> going back to your original question i had a great day um it was filled with a lot of drinking and uh the game itself is pretty good i thank god for liquid iv and some random pills that train gave me about like four o'clock yeah that, that <laughs> sounds great on that sounds awesome yeah. <laughs> those random pills man they were supposed to prevent hangover and they did they kind of did because i probably crushed like 27 beers yesterday and i'm chilling woke up did a workout we all good um as for the game though i enjoyed about 58 minutes of it it was 58 minutes of great football and we'll get into the last two minutes a little bit later here uh, but overall it was I'm happy it was competitive. I'm happy it wasn't a blowout. Yeah, for sure. That's always what you want is a good competitive football game. Um, Traden, how are you? How was your weekend? Obviously, Super Bowl, you hosted. You made some mean old brisket. We, we loved it. Uh, what else do you got? Yeah, I mean, it was fun. It was fun to have everybody over. Um, personally, I was a little underwhelmed with with the brisket but you know it is what it is um, it was so good I, it, yeah it I was just, not I dry just, i just expected a little i just expected a little more um but it was fine i mean I, as long as everybody else liked it I, that's all that's all i really care about uh, as for the game i i didn't get to see as much as i wanted to <laughs> and that's because <laughs> when you're a host it's not necessarily because i you know i drank so much it was mostly because you you're you're just trying to make sure everyone's taken care of and you just kind of lose focus of you know what you're actually there to do because <laughs> you're you're more you're more focused on your guests um so i mean it is what it is um the game was good i mean at least it was a three-point game and i think that we were one yard away from seeing a seeing a overtime i firmly believe that so uh you know you get that first down it's a completely different game um so i I think, and that's all we could really ask for. Much better than last season. Absolutely, gotta love that. Um, so yeah, let's let's just roll roll right into it. Uh, Super Bowl Fifty Six concluded in Los Angeles, twenty three to twenty Rams victory. James is gonna break it all down for us, and we're gonna get right into it. So James, what do we got for this year's Super Bowl? I think breaking it down is kind of a 
very broad term for what I'm about to do. I got a couple discussion questions because, you know, most people listening to this podcast watch the game. So there really isn't much to break down per se, but I just want to get your opinion on a couple of things. That being said, my first question of the day is going to lead back to what I had mentioned before in the intro about how the first 58 minutes was officiated differently than the last two minutes. How do you guys feel about that? And do you like that? Or do you think it's a little weird on the officiated officials part? Go ahead, Ty. Um, it's a little annoying, to be honest with you. I wish they just kept it consistent either way. I think I think across the board in any any sport, with when it comes to officiating, you just want consistency. Like if you're gonna let them play, let them play. If you're not gonna, if you're gonna be strict about rules, be strict about rules, and just keep it consistent throughout the game. Um, so it was a little weird, you know. Definitely to see more. I, I kind of had that thought in like the third quarter or something and thinking like wow there hasn't been a whole lot of penalties in this game and there's been a lot of a lot of good hard-fought football plays that probably could have been called um for both sides and then kind of towards the end there just flags are flying everywhere so um there was four penalties in the last two minutes all against the Bengals. yeah so weird um certainly like you never want the officiating to be part of the story of the game um they really should just kind of you know do what they need to do and kind of be out of the way um unfortunately kind of seems like they took over those last two minutes there um i don't know if that was determined or planned or what or they had a meeting and say hey like this final drive like 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 let's lock it down these penalties or what i have no idea why they would decide to do that i don't know but i know from a fan's perspective when it comes to officiating like in, in, inconsistency during a game is like the most frustrating thing so um i think that's kind of my initial thought it's just kind of frustrated about the, the inconsistency of the, their style calls Jane, what do you think, man? Yeah, I, I, I kind of echo that. I mean, I mean, I 100%, I 100% echo that. You know, like, I, I think that some of it had to do with, uh, I believe there was a play earlier on in the game where um, there was clearly a, I don't know if you call it pass interference, but clearly there was a push off to, 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 to make a play. And I think that, you know, maybe one of those calls in the end was maybe like the makeup call. But it, it what was odd is that you had already not called it. So just... I mean, I mean, it's actually bizarre. Usually you see it the other way, right? You, you Usually you see it kind of called a little tight in, uh, as the game starts. And then towards the end of the game, especially in a three-point game where you are, you, you know, you're dealing with a team that could easily make it down and, and, and tie a game is, is then when you, you start calling it tight. Or I mean, usually you'd see them start to loosen it up a little bit and let them play because, you know, emotions run up and it just gets a little bit more intense towards as, as the end of the game kind of uh, finds its way. And you saw it kind of go the other way. And it, it, it's unfortunate because it just kind of takes away from the integrity of the game, right? Like the, 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 they were they were not calling it very tight. They were just letting them play football. And you know what? I personally like that. I, I, I think that that's how – and I understand you need to call fouls, but that's how I like to see it. I like to see a little bit – the emotions are running and it's, and you just want to let the, let them kind of um, feel each other out and play some football, but to, to rein it in in the last couple of minutes there is, is odd. It's unfortunate. And it just takes away it. it, Honestly, it takes away from the Rams win in my, in my opinion. Like I think the Rams deserve to win that game. I do. I do. They won the game, but it just kind of takes away from that. It, It kind of steals their thunder in a sense because everyone's going to look at those plays and say, Hey, did, did the Rams actually, you know, did they actually win or did they actually deserve to win? I mean, who knows what would have happened if the, if the, if the fouls wouldn't have been called, but I, I, it's just tough. It's, it's just tough to end a game like that. Very similar to the type of bullshit we saw in the world series, very similar to, well, uh, the Giants Dodgers series. 
Yeah, that wasn't a Super Bowl. Like it wasn't the the the, the last um, uh, series, but nonetheless, it was it was impactful. Um, you've seen it in the NHL. You've seen it in um, basketball too. So it's just unfortunate because it overshadows what would have what should be considered a very 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 well fought football game. It's crazy because two of the most pivotal moments in that last two minutes, there were penalties that should have been called against the Rams, but instead they were called the other way around. Uh, the play, the play where the holding call was called in the Bengals that led to that Cooper Cup touchdown, it was a false start on all players on the Rams except for the center. The center did not snap the ball and everybody moved. That was ridiculous. So that holding call should not have been called because there should have been a five-yard penalty on the Rams to begin with. And then the last play for the Bengals, that fourth yard, fourth down, Joe Burrow sacked by Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald was lined up offsides. His head and his hand were in the neutral zone. That should have been a penalty. It was not called. And that's crazy because those are two most pivotal points of the game right there. It's tough because, I mean, you have so many refs on there and it's just like, it's just bizarre. It's like, why, why, why change it? Why, why, why change the game? The game's going great. You, 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 this is what the NFL needs is, is a hard fought Super Bowl. That's what people are clamoring for. That's what people want, especially two teams that are very likable. No, you don't I mean, unless you're a Niners fan and, and a Seahawks fan, I get, or whatever, but as a whole in general, I think I've said this to both of you a couple of times now. That was the most uh, uh, a well likable quarterback matchup of all, uh, in my opinion, of all time. And you just fucking ruin it. Like, why? <laughs> it is what it is. Moving on, though, that let's talk about the Rams real fast and let's talk about their future. OBJ has a possible 20 CL from the turf last at uh, the Super Bowl. Aaron Donald is possibly contemplating retirement and safety Eric Weddle, who's led the team and tackles the last three playoff games coming out of retirement is going to re-retire again so how do the rams look for next season are they going to run it back tyler or are they going to take a step back is it going to be a harder road how are they looking for next year yeah currently as we speak it doesn't look like they're going to have a lot of their key guys coming back especially on the on the defensive side um obviously the the biggest one or the biggest name that you mentioned uh aaron donald you know he's he's contemplating possibly retiring right now um that would be super bittersweet i mean obviously i want to have this guy on the rams i want to see him keep playing football he's one of the most electric defensive players to ever do it um but you wouldn't blame him you know i mean he's pretty much accomplished everything a player can at this point and uh to kind of go out on your own terms is something that most players don't get to do um so you definitely wouldn't blame him if he did and if he does then he goes out like a champ and that's awesome um, but yeah, certainly uh, OBJ is a huge question mark in terms of what's going to go on with that injury. I, I certainly think he wants to be in, in, in L.A., but um, obviously the injury is a major concern. And yeah, just, I, I think on the defensive side is where there's more concerns. Um, the Rams seem to get creative. I don't know how much more creative they can get, especially with they pretty much given up all kind of draft picks they have for the next like 20 years, I guess. But um, <laughs> we'll see what they can do. Um, I definitely don't. Currently, if like all those guys are not on the team next year or injured or whatever, like it's definitely not going to be a back-to-back championship type of situation for them at all. Um, so we'll see. I think it's going to be a very interesting offseason. They're going to have to obviously decide or we're going to have to get some decisions from some players and kind of kind of create more of a clarity. I think right now, not, like, none of them give a shit about that right now. They're going to obviously enjoy the celebration. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely a little bit of concern there for the future or at least the in immediate future of the Rams, depending on what happens to a few of those key, uh, key players. Would you draft Cooper Cup number one overall in fantasy football next year? Fuck yeah. Not a running back. You go shake Cooper Cup. Yeah. Okay. 
Trayden, what are your thoughts on the Rams next season? And would you draft Cooper Cup number one overall? Uh, I probably wouldn't draft Cooper Cup one overall. Just yeah, yeah, that running that that running back is just so important. Although I although I I made it all the way without having a, an all star running back. So. Here's the thing about running backs in fantasy is they always get hurt. They do. <laughs> so even if you go number one overall with a running back, you get you get lucky. Like you'll probably like it's not the production is the concern; it's the health. Yeah, I, I mean, I it, don't know. Gonna it, it, it does make here. you think it. I mean, I, I know that historically you'd, you'd always, I mean, unless it's a certain what right receiver, I guess, maybe Cooper Cup is that one. But you usually you're, you're looking at the running backs first and, you know, you run the risk of it being of them being of them being injured. And it's becoming more of a passing game. You're seeing Jamar Chase breakthrough at a rookie level. You're seeing Cooper Cup uh, breakthrough. Um, Tyreek Hill's always a, a, always a huge threat. So James, maybe you can answer this. Is it is how we're gonna draft gonna change soon here? Or maybe it already it will. You brought up a really great point in saying that the passing game is now becoming the NFL's kind of go-to, which means there's a lot more players who are gonna be better wide receivers as opposed to a lot less running backs being better running backs. Regardless of what your team is gonna be, you're gonna have to play two running backs, two wide receivers. So if there's a lot of depth at the wide receiver position. I wouldn't mind taking my first wide receiver at round three or four because the value around three or four for the wide receiver position is going to be a lot better than the value of running back around three and four. True. There's only a few really good running backs out there that will it, give you enough points to, to survive. If you have a chance to get one of those, do it. So, because the point differential between wide receiver two and wide receiver 17 isn't that big. Isn't that big. It's almost like, a, it's, it's almost like you flipped it back. Right. Like like we were trying to make the argument that because they're so valuable, they should be going first. But it's it actually the wide receivers are getting so valuable that that makes the, that early pick for a wide receiver even more impactful because you're going to be able to find a wide receiver that is, is there is, I guess, summarizing what you're going to say, yeah. which is very interesting. It's very it's very, uh, very interesting. But uh, in terms of the in terms of the team, I mean, I do. I, I think that this team does a very good job of, of developing its its defense. I think they're going to have to take a step back before they can take a step forward. You're, I think Tyler's right. They're not going to be, um, they're not going to be that team that, that repeats unless they figure, you know, something out um, given, given what we've seen Tom Brady do, given, given what we've seen uh, I guess Tom Brady is the biggest one and going out the way he did. I think that maybe given the fact that they just won a Super Bowl, I think this would be Aaron Donald's, you know, door out because it you're ending on such a high note especially that last play like that's what everyone's going to remember regardless if you were offside or not <laughs> you also for a look up a picture yo. for real. I, like, know, <laughs> I know i do we i do um but you know the good news is and tyler you, i mean i think you can you can appreciate this even if obj is not back i think that your offense is still going to be pretty pretty there and, you know, it's going to make for it's going to make the games still very interesting to watch. Um, Matt Stafford's going to continue to, uh, to develop his his uh, his his offense. And I, I think it's going to be a fun season. It may not be a fully successful season like it was, especially if you can't figure that defense out. Um, but I think you'll you know, you'll, you'll you'll have some fun and you'll see uh, you'll see the offense, you know, be be good enough to make the games interesting. You're saying yeah. it'll be a fun season. It might not be successful. Do you think they make the playoffs? Even though I mean, it's way though, early. The earliest possible you could say it, but will they make the playoffs? Yeah. Um, at, at, if 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 we were to take what we saw this past season and the fact that there's so much strength in the in the um, NFC West, and we had this conversation um, yesterday. It, it seems like there's so much weakness outside 
uh, uh, in other divisions that it, it just gives the Rams if they're if they're just good enough to to you know I, I mean the 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 Niners finished like eight, uh, ten and eight. I mean uh-huh. they were. Uh, they were just above. Like it's not like they were. They blew past five hundred. Like they were just a game or two above that. That if that's all you need, I think that they have the ability to do that. At least, at least, at least this offense does. I mean, you're still gonna have Cooper Cup. You're still gonna have, um, you know, all these all all these players. Matt Stafford when he when he's on, he can he can play. And so I think I think they can make the playoffs it, unless we see major changes in those other divisions. Okay, I like that. Tyler, you have something to say? Is that you raising a hand? Oh, no, I'm just, uh, but, uh, you know, I, th- I think in terms of the playoff question, I, th- I definitely think that they'll be competitive for a playoff spot. As you, as training was saying, I think they have a lot of weapons still on, on, on tap for on the offensive side. Um, I think what made the Rams team so successful so consistently was their defense. So I think that's going to be a major concern going forward. Um, I think if you ask the general managers and the coaches and all this stuff, you know, um, it's kind of all in method of kind of selling all your draft picks and, you know, making all these trades for all these star players, you know, they ended up winning the Super Bowl. So I think it's probably worth it. Um, but we'll see. Obviously, I don't know if I want to win one Super Bowl and then be really shitty for 10 years either. So um, <laughs> I don't know how much, how worth it it will actually be. I don't, you know, I, that's a little, a little dramatic, obviously, but um, it'll, it'll be interesting for sure to see what this Rams team looks like next year. I'll tell you this, the Cincinnati Bengals fan would say the exact opposite. They're like, I would have taken a fucking Super Bowl yeah. after being out of the playoffs for 31 years for me to not be in the playoffs for another 31 fucking years. Yeah. So the, the crazy thing about that is that now the Bengals are set up for success for yes. a very long time. Very long time. As opposed to right now, the Rams, who could be successful, it's pretty much boomer bust for them. They either make the Super Bowl or they don't make the playoffs. The Bengals will be competitive year in, year out for the next 10 years. Yeah. Which brings to my next question. And we talked about this at length the other day, Trading. The AFC is crowded. The AFC has some of the best quarterbacks in the league. We're talking Lamar Jackson. We're talking Josh Allen. Uh, maybe Zach Wilson in a couple of years. Who knows? Right now, Joe Burrow is not the king of the crop in the AFC. So with him leading this, and I mean, like, he is good. He's a top three or four quarterback in the AFC. But the fact of the matter is, there are better quarterbacks than him in the AFC. Does he lead the Bengals back next year, given how tough the AFC is? Trading, what do you think? Um, on one condition, the the Bengals uh, scouting staff and that front office needs to focus on getting him an offensive line. If you give Joe Burrow, I can't imagine what that team would look like if you give them a a a, uh, a an offensive line. They would they would be a dominant team. That said, however, we're we're gonna see the. I, I think the Chargers are, are are having their year next year. I'm telling. I'm calling it right now. The, I I I lock out for. I look out for uh, Justin Herbert to to just continue to to show his um his strength. I think there will be a new team in LA, Tyler. Um, and you know I just think that at that's, that point in time, Tyler's now gonna have three teams because fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, I root for all thirty two. The the, the oh, best God, team loser. The, the the best team in the league lost in uh lost in the AFC didn't even make it to the AFC championship and that's um, Josh Allen and his bills. And that, that team's good. That team's just going to be just as good next year, in my opinion. So while I think that Joe, Joe Burrow can, it can make it back. It's all going to be pr- predicated on them get, getting him an offensive line. If they can get him an offensive line where he's not taking seven sacks in a Super Bowl, nine sacks in a, in a um, f- uh, first preliminary round or whatever you call it, um, it or divisional round, they, they dominate, man. They absolutely dominate. And 
Um, so that that's what it's going to be up because I, I love Joe Burrow's ability to, he's a winner, man. Like he, the fact that he kept this, a, he got sacked seven times and it was a three point game. That, that's absurd. That is un, like, that is absurd. And so I, you, you watch out for that type of mentality. That that's the type of mentality that a winning quarterback um, instills. He just needs to be protected. And also we're forgetting about Patrick Mahomes guys. I didn't mention him. I forgot about him, but Patrick Mahomes is still in the AFC. Yeah. A damn good quarterback. He is. He's Let's not forget. Tyler, what do you think? Do the Bengals run it back next year? And by running back, I mean, do they make the playoffs? <laughs> I, I think they, they got to make the playoffs. I mean, I think it's hard to believe that Joe Burrow and, and the way that the Cincinnati Bengals team performed this year, that that was just a one-year fluke. Like, I, I really think that they got a really good thing going there. They have a lot to improve on, obviously, as uh, Trayden mentioned. But I feel like this is a Bengals team that's going to be a, a threat in the AFC for the next few years. Um, obviously I think what makes the NFL great currently is how many great teams there are. And it's really competitive. Um, there really isn't that kind of like Tom Brady's Patriots team right now, that it's like almost a lock to pretty much make the Super Bowl every year. Um, it's kind of a crapshoot, which I like, I think that's a good thing for the game. I think that that's only going to breed more, uh, competitiveness. Uh, so it's certainly, I think it's very easy for Bengals fans to feel like, Oh, we'll just be here next year. Like we, we, we were able to make it through the, 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 the AFC this year um it's it's hard to win especially in the playoffs like there's no guarantees um that's what made what what tom brady did so incredible right um that he was able to do it so consistently for so long um i don't think that landscape really exists currently anymore in the, in the nfl like as james mentioned there's so many good quarterbacks there's so many good 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 football teams i mean the top three seeds in both conferences didn't make this the super bowl this year and that speaks volumes to, I think, just how competitive and how close a lot of teams in the NFL are. Um, so I do they make the playoffs. Yes, they make, they make the playoffs, I think. Um, making the uh, Super Bowl, that's going to be a lot tougher. Um, but we'll see how they improve in, in the offseason, and we'll go from there. And just to give you guys a heads up, unless you're Tom Brady or the Chiefs as of late, it's really rare for a team to make the Super Bowl and then make it back to the Super Bowl the next year. And, like, it's even hard to make the playoffs. There's only – what, seven teams now that make the playoffs on each conference? Really hard to do, especially a long 18-week season with injuries in a physical sport. You just never know. You really have to have luck fall your way. Uh, but that being said, that's the end of the Super Bowl, and that's the end of my football segments until probably July or August. I don't know, depending on when the draft is. Uh, but it was fun, guys. Appreciate that. So I, before we go, James, what did, what can you give us kind of a little teaser of what, what to expect between now and – july or whatever uh let's talk about food maybe oh you're, you're going i might, I might, I might going bring it back to eric yeah well i don't know maybe the nba stuff because we haven't touched nba in a while so but we will today yeah uh, but I, I don't know i guess we'll see it'll be different miscellaneous all right i love it yeah off-season uh segments are always uh tricky but uh james i wish you the best of luck with all that uh yeah another great nfl season james you do great as always uh so we're happy to kind of wrap a bow on this one for this year um yeah when we come back we're gonna head over to the ice uh Traden's gonna give us our too bad too good and two numbers segment like we did last week uh we all think it was went great so we're gonna do it again when we come back
Welcome back, everybody. We're talking hockey. Uh, last year, Traden kind of switched up his uh, hockey segments and kind of went from holy puck to a little bit of a too good, too bad, two numbers deal. I mean, last week. What did I say? Last month? Last year. Last year. <laughs> holy shit. Okay. Well, I got to lock it in. Traden, hopefully you're locked in. Go, yes. go ahead and take it away. Yes. Let me, let, me, uh, let me steer us back on the track here. Um, this is two good, uh, two good things, two bad things, and two numbers. Uh, segment i guess <laughs> i almost called it podcast but it's not um it's part of a podcast you're not doing um, a very good job putting us back on track yeah yeah Brutal. um this one is actually not nhl it's actually hockey um, my first good thing of the week is the women's olympics will once again see the best current hockey rivalry on earth play out yet again canada is set to play united states in the gold medal game on wednesday night um it, that is uh, at eight to eight ten uh, Pacific time, eleven ten. If you're in the east, uh, and they'll, you know they're playing midday on Thursday in China, so it's actually for for it's us watchable. Uh, for, for yeah, for us on the west coast, it's absolutely watchable. Um, I'm it's it's a little tough because there's gonna and I'll get to this. There's a marquee game that night as well, a marquee game in the NHL. But at the same time, um, but it, they they don't they don't completely overlap, so you can get a little bit of a um, of a dual action flip back and forth, uh, or just get two TVs. Or get two TVs, but not everyone can, can easily do that. That's all. So I just wanted to ask you guys, you know, there's actually discussion if, if women, if women's hockey should even be in the Olympics, because it's always just two teams. It's, every, it's two teams and then everybody else below that's, and the gap is really, really big. If, if, if not, it's actually growing. Yeah. Um, I guess my question for you guys is uh, I, I, I want to be, I want to ask you straight up, James, who is going to get to, to win the gold medal uh, for their country? Knowing this, knowing US. this, the teams have played, have played each other um, this, this uh, Olympics and the, the Canadians uh, beat the, uh, the United States women uh, four to two, even though they were vastly outshot um, by two to one. So my answer stays the same United States. Hmm. Uh, that being said, it's, it's good. I mean, a lot like I just mentioned, not like well, maybe five minutes ago, about luck playing a part of it um, and how everything kind of has to fall into place for you to win stuff. That is especially true in hockey because of the amount of just variety of implications and how the ice melts and how if you have to be at the right place at the right time, it's so crazy, man. A tip, anything, it's not necessarily planned. Sometimes it just happens. And the fact that you just mentioned that they were outshot, but they still one or Canada was outshot, but they still won. Speaks to the fact that maybe the defense didn't do all that great, and maybe the goal was just on their head for that one game. Uh, the U.S. has been kind of dominating as of late, you know, and so has Canada, obviously, because of the two teams that do the best of the best. And the coolest thing about this, by the way, is the fact that we do get to see the best of the best compete on a hockey stage. Because right now, for the males, the men, you don't see NHL players, so it's not necessarily the best of the best because the best of the best play in the NHL. And the women, however you literally get the best hockey players in the world to compete, which is phenomenal. Um, I'm honestly going to stick with the U S because I am an American. So let's roll with that. I don't know very many women's hockey players, uh, except for Phil Castle's sister, Amanda, I believe Amanda. Yeah. She was really cool. I remember watching her a couple of years back. So yes, I have watched some winter Olympics and I've watched hockey. And that was it. But yeah, go USA. Go USA. Indeed. Um, uh, this, this game is very interesting. I mean, we, we have a team, we honestly have a, have a Canadian team who has completely dominated 
they have 33 they, they have scored 33 goals this uh this uh olympics um and they've led in five <laughs> like that's absurd um on the other side in group b um i'm i'm calculating and by my quick math i think that they've completely outscored every single team in group b combined and that's five teams <laughs> in that side which is um unbelievable it, it, it looks like it's a little uh, a little less than than uh than their combined score but nonetheless it's very very close um and tyler we're, we're also dealing with a united states team that you know we we lost brianna decker early on which was a huge blow and we've and we've mentioned this that we've had to fight through the depth um the depth chart a little bit but we we had some we had we had, well I think we had a scare against Czech, uh, the Czech Republic that was that was a that was a worry, yeah. and we're we're just not and even, I could even say that our game uh, I believe our game against Finland was yesterday it, it just it, we're just not it just doesn't seem like we're scary enough we're not we're not we're not getting the the grade A chances so I want to ask you Tyler who do you have going who do you have winning this and why well my gut you know, says Canada, but my heart says USA, obviously. Um, do I, I, the reason I think Canada right now is just the better team is, as you mentioned, like, you know, even in that first game that we saw USA, Canada, USA with the putt dominated that game, you know, but they lost four to two um, because the Canadians uh, defense and their, and their goaltending is spectacular right now. And uh, that's a really hard thing to beat when it's going right. Um, I think Hoffman's can, can come and go, but if your defense is sound and your goaltender is sound, that's, that's tough. It's not impossible, but it's tough. Um, so I think the United States is going to have a really tough game coming up. But if anyone's going to beat Canada, it's going to be this American team. They're a little thin, as you mentioned. We, we're dealing with some injuries. Um, but there's always hope, right? I mean, I think that's what makes sports and the Olympics great. Um, Canada obviously has a lot of motivation to win this game after losing to them uh, in the, in, in, in the last Olympics uh, USA is trying to, to, to defend their title. So um, it's going to be great. Obviously. So like I said, my, my gut says Canada, but wholeheartedly ruining for uh, the United States, obviously. Um, and like, as you mentioned, kind of the, the whole, how it's USA, Canada, and then everyone else, you know, I was just kind of looking at the history of the Olympics and seeing kind of, you know, uh -huh. where all the teams, it's literally Canada one, two, like the entire women's history of, of, of uh, hockey. It's pretty crazy. I think there's like maybe one year where one of those teams did not finish in the top two. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't happen often, whether it's, whether it's the world championships or whether it's the Olympics um, you know, it's, it's every, you know, every, every other year, they're just, they're just trading off wins at this point. And, you know, for me, of course I want the United States to win, but, but unless the United States can find a way to, to find the seams, to move the goalie, to move the goalies laterally. I mean, they're getting great shots, but they're getting shots right to the, right to the target, right to the chest. And it doesn't, it doesn't work. You get, you rack up a shit ton of a shit ton of shots, but they're not grade A chances. And it's just, you, you may be dominating the puck, but eventually, you know, there, there's a mistake that's made. The puck goes the other way. And, you know, Canada has the ability to score. We've, I, as I just mentioned, so United States needs to find a way to get grade A scoring chances. They, and they need to show us that they can do that. If they cannot do that on Wednesday, Canada is going to win and they'll win their gold medal. We'll, I mean, we'll be happy with this silver medal. We are guaranteed a medal, which is fantastic. But um, as you guys know, in the Olympics, it's not, you don't win, you don't, um, you don't win silver, you lose gold. That's how it kind of works. Right. So um it, it, it's going to be interesting. I actually, I, I actually think that Canada is going to win. Um, 
and it's simply because they have just been turning, you know, just running the scores up this whole play, uh, Olympics because they have the ability to find the greatest scoring chances and, and, and uh, execute and uh, um, take advantage of them. So we'll see how it goes. I'm really rooting for United States, of course. Um, Hillary Knight, congratulations on being the highest um, goal scoring um uh, uh, female in the, uh, in the Olympics in women's hockey history, which is, that's, it's fantastic. Um, fantastic achievement. Um, hopefully you can put a lot more in the, in the net for us on Wednesday. My second good thing, um, Wednesday night's potential Western conference final. Here's why. The, uh, and that game is between the Vegas golden Knights and the Colorado avalanche. It is on TNT. And the biggest news that came out today, Jack Eichel is going to play playing in that game for the first time since uh, 20, I guess it would have been late or early 2021. Yeah. Early 2021. We haven't seen him play in a long time. We haven't seen him play a high level in a long time. Um, and, but Jack Eichel has found a way onto the, onto the um, uh, Vegas golden Knights, uh, Vegas golden Knights uh, roster. They um, Mark Stone's going on LITR, so a very similar type of situation as we saw in, with Tampa Bay. So we'll, we'll see if we'll see if there's some shenanigans there. But at the end of the day, it sounds like Mark Stone's actually hurt and equally fits in Jack Eichel. And I just want to ask you, Tyler, is this truly, in my in my opinion, I think this is a Western Conference Championship preview. Um, and it, I know that we're halfway through the season, but it seems like these two teams are destined to face each other in the in the conference final. And better yet, we get to see Jack Eichel. What's your overall feeling about this game? Are you going to tune in, and um, what what are you going to be looking for if you do? Uh, what what time is that game at on Wednesday? Uh, Seven thirty on TNT. And then then the USA Canada is at eight eight ten. So I'll watch the first period, I guess, and then uh, obviously turning over to watch uh, USA Canada. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to turn. I mean, you you always love to watch these kind of you know people always talk about these regular season matchups that are potential previews for a possible championship uh, series. Um, you got to love it. I mean, it's two great teams going at it. Uh, awesome to see Jack Eichel back. I'm very, very curious to see how he's going to fit in with this uh, uh, Knights team. Um, we'll see how much better it makes them. Both these teams are playing really great hockey right now. I think obviously clear favorites uh, for, for one of those two teams to come out of the West, um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely intrigued. I mean, I'm intrigued for both those reasons, just, just two good teams going at it and seeing Eichel back, um, should be a really fun hockey game to watch. I, I, I totally agree. Uh, and I want to flip it over to you, James. Um, we haven't seen Jack Eichel play hockey in a while. Um, and, and maybe, maybe you can correct me, but I, I feel like a lot of the NHL fan base and even, even some of the pundits have forgotten how good Jack Eichel is. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be hundred percent, but do you think that we are in for a little bit of a, Oh wow, yeah, he's good. Type of moment when you when we see him play. I think it's going to take a while. Um, I do believe that yes, people have forgotten how good he is because one, he was buried in Buffalo for the entirety of his career, and two, it's been a while. And what you think of now when you think of Jack Eichel, you you think of surgery of his cervical spine and a potential lawsuit. That's what you think of. Um, hockey is a very physical sport. It's very demanding. It takes a lot of coordination that doesn't come naturally to most people. That being said, the surgery that Jack Eichel had is one that should not be taken lightly. And I kind of relate this back to the Clay Thompson thing for the Warriors. 
but his surgeries were very much surgeries that have done been done time and time again and to a high success rate. This is relatively rare, uh, especially in a hockey player. And it impacts his ability to turn his, put his head on a swivel and turn his head left and right. Uh, Clay Thompson, on the other hand, it was an ACL and an Achilles surgery, both relatively easy to get back from, determined like based off of the fact that you're ambulating on solid ground. But Jack Eichel has been walking on solid ground for a long period of time, especially during his recovery. Skating, probably not so much. It's a different ball game when you're on the ice. Jack Eichel will take some time to warm up. He hasn't played since 2020. 2020. Yeah, it's yeah, I was about to say 2021 seems relatively recent. Yeah. Uh, since 2020, it's been a while. The physicality of the game is going to be tough. I'm sure he's not getting whooped in practice like he would during a game. It's going to take him a while. Jack Eichel's good and he'll get to where he needs to be, but it, it'll take it'll take a couple couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it will definitely take a couple weeks. This guy is going to fit in, and the he's going to be slotting into the first center spot. I mean, that's that's who he is. He's a top from the get go. From the get go, he is, and I think it's so absolutely. I, and and you know what? I think and he's playing against the Abs, bro, on his first game. This is bro, actually. It, I I actually Fuck think it. it's the best thing for him. I think it's the best oh, thing for him. They're um, the hottest. He, they're by far the hottest team in the NHL. They are. They definitely are. Um, and they're the he will be slotting in on the top uh top power play line as well, right off the bat. And, and because he's, you know, he's just that good. And it just, it'll just go to show if, 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 if Vegas made the right move. Um, interestingly, this now, this surgery has now happened twice in the NHL. Uh, really once, with, once with Jack Eichel was the first time ever. And then weeks later, uh, Tyler Johnson did it as well. Um, my, you know, my dad, very small sample size. It is, but my, um, it, but interestingly, my dad, um, you know, talked to a, um, talked to a specialist in this area and he, you know, I, we, I just wanted to get, you know, a, a surgeon's pr- uh, idea of, of which surgery he would have chosen. And it sounds like this was the, this is the consensus better option by most people. So um, it will be interesting to see if it actually, if it actually works, we've seen it happen in the MMA, we've seen it happen in hockey, just not in the NHL level, but now that, we're actually going to see what the what is going to happen now that the surgery is done, and you know it it might be eye opening for the for the uh, Buffalo Sabers and what they could have had. Um, we'll see, we'll see, um, we'll see how it goes. Um, that moves me to the two bad things. Um, the first one, Tukarask. Tukarask uh, called it quits. He hung up his skates this past year, uh, past a week after. You know, he, he, he was, he was badly injured and he, and he's been trying to battle that back. He was not able to do his AHL stint because of, uh, of the COVID issues. So they slotted him in, um, they slotted him in, to, you know, with the Boston Bruins games. Um, and he just has not able to do it. And, and unfortunately he had to call it, he had to call it a, um, a season. And it's very unfortunate after you're seeing such prolific players in, in sports, being able to walk away from the game on a very, very you know, strong high note. You're seeing Tuka Rask, one of the better, better goaltenders in Bru- Boston Bruins history, kind of go out like this. It's 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 very it's very unfortunate. Um, and I just want to ask you, James, um, thoughts on Tuka Rask? Um, and you know, I it, you know, I, I don't it, and whether he's maybe whether he's going to be missed by the Boston Bruins. Oh, bro, what? That last question, absolutely. He is one of the best goaltenders that the Boston Bruins has ever had. One of the best goaltenders this league has ever seen. Like, he is 
and I, I know that the Bruins haven't retired a goalie's number ever, but I think this should be a first. Like he retires again. He retires. He was a Stanley Cup champion in 2011, Fezzan Trophy winner in 2014, 306, 163, and 66 mark in 300 or 560 career appearances. That dude deserves it. Uh, unfortunately, father time injuries got the best of him, but I think he made the right call. Um, I think retiring and when he's not available and not allowing himself to play at a high level for a, a franchise that he loves dearly he realized that he was hurting this team more than he was helping it. At which point it's time to step away, especially for a team that you love, for a sport that you love. If you can't perform at your highest level and you can't do what you want to do, it's time to step away. And he made the right call on doing it. Instead of hurting his team and forcing the hand of getting more playing time. And I mean, at the end of, towards the end there, before the all-star break, he was demoted to a, a backup role, um, which is tough, but he was there to kind of help the team. But he realized he can't perform the way he wants to. Let that spot be taken by somebody else who can perform, help that storied franchise that he loves so much win games. Yeah, it's 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 very sad that we get to that we have to see him uh, leave the game like this. So I and, and I want to ask you, Tyler. Um, you know, as it stands now, Boston is just is just very is just seeing strong goaltending from Swayman and Olmark, Linus Olmark. It just seems like Rast didn't really have a spot anymore because he just was not able to compete. Um, how, how are you going to remember to, to Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to kind of echo what James was saying. You know, I mean, when I think of the Boston Bruins and their, and their recent dominance in, in hockey, you know, one of the biggest names of that whole team is to I mean, he was just kind of a, a stable there in Boston for, for so long. Um, and I agree. I think, I think he deserves, uh, Jersey retirement, uh, completely. I think he, he's given so much that, uh, organization, um, so I, I'll always remember him as a, as a champion and just a, 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 a huge part, if not one of the, you know, the main part of, you know, those, those Boston Bruins and how dominant they've been over the last 10 years or even longer. Um, he's, he's right there. I mean, he's kind of like one of those, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when the Kings had, you know, quick and, uh, Rangers had, um, oh shit, help me out here. Uh, uh, Lundquist. You know, kind of oh, like Lundquist. one of like one of Lundqvist never won a cup, right? But uh, so I think Rask is a, a, a above him in that way. But he's just kind of one of those guys that have been with the same team and have, has, has put together an incredible career. Um, always sucks to kind of have to call it quits because of an injury, um, but unfortunately, that's kind of what happens. But yeah, I'll I'll always remember him as a as a champion and one of the best to ever do it. Yeah, I mean, we we are going to remember him as being you know one of the best for the Boston Bruins. However. I, the only, the only knock I have on him is he hasn't won a cup as a starter. He's had, he's, he's led the, he's been the starter for the team for eight seasons. And while he has had solid, very, very, very solid numbers in the postseason, he hasn't led them to a, to a Stanley cup, which I think is going to, pro- which could keep him out of the hall of fame. Um, we could see his number um, retire. Uh, we could see his number go to the rafters. Um, um, but um, we'll, we'll have to see where he goes on the hall of fame um, vote. It's just, when the games really mattered, that's when he faltered, right? He had, he had great games in games one, two, three, but in those games that actually mattered, that's when that that's when he choked very, you know what, you know, what? very similar to a Clayton Kershaw's type of situation, Tyler, you know, uh, I mean, now we saw, we saw Clayton Kershaw figure it out, but when it mattered most, we just saw, we were just expecting a little more from, from Kershaw at times. Right. And I think that a lot of uh, Boston fans felt the same way about Ras, but he will be missed James to your point. Um, and it's just sad that he had to go out like this, especially when you see 
you know, all these players go out in much, in much, in much better fashion. Um, the second one is, is, is really has tugs, it tugs me and I'm, and it, 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 it's been bothering me and I wanted to let, uh, talk to you guys about it. It's amazing how, how the lack of uh, emotional response we're seeing when, you know, we're seeing opponents take cheap shots on teammates and we're see I see it, especially with the goaltending situation in, in, uh, and I have three instances that I want to talk about, you know, back, back in uh, late January, we saw Batherson get completely clotheslined by, uh, by uh, um, the uh, Sabres goaltender uh, and the, the Ottawa senators just sat there um uh zach cassian took a run to the habs goaltender in their completely drubbing of the uh of the habs and we saw a zero response from the habs right after the, their goalie just lost his ham helmet for christ's sake and then this is a guy that is is a rookie goaltender if i'm not mistaken and we saw brad marchant take a run at tristan jari i think it was last week he got suspended for it and we only really saw a small response from uh chris letang but the rest of the team couldn't give a shit the game has clearly changed. And if in, even in practice, when I was in amateur hockey, if I jammed the, my, my own goaltender during practice to practice my, you know, um, you know, cr crashing the net, my defenseman would put me on my ass in practice. It doesn't, you don't let your goaltenders get touched and you don't let your best players, especially get touched. And Tyler, I want to ask you uh, how, how can how can anybody back up the fact that they that teammates are so emotionally disconnected from the game right now? It's interesting. I agree. I mean, I think of the ones that you know I watch. I think the one the Batherson one, or sorry, the uh, uh, Cassian on uh, Montem Montembault is how you pronounce it. Montem, yeah, Montembault. Montembault. Uh, that one's probably the most like egregious. Dude, where was the like fucking fight from that? I mean, I guess it's you know. I don't know, but it, it's pretty bad. Um, I don't know if it's, it's, if it's just a league wide, I think people are just not as, you know, when it, when it comes to the violence of the sport, I think people aren't as uh, forgiving with it, which is, I don't like that. I think hockey is, is a sport that kind of has room for some of that more violent part of it. Um, so it, it, it's interesting to watch. I would definitely say it's, I would be concerned if I saw my team and my goalie get knocked out like that. And my team did nothing about it. I'd be like, what the hell's going on there? Like there's, there's, there's something off. Um, you know, you want to see a little bit of retaliation, not, not in the sense like we're going to go after their goalie and kind of go back and forth, but like something like go over the guy and like, you know, show him like, dude, don't fucking touch my guy or I'm going to fuck you up kind of deal. You know what I mean? Like put, make it, make it tough on them because you, you just can't do that. And you can't bully your goalie. Like, period. So yeah, definitely. If I saw that for my team, like I'd, I'd be, I'd be pretty pissed off. James explain why the, the emotional responses are just absent now. I mean, it's, it's actually, it, it, it's downright disgusting to an extent because it, it really lets the goaltenders know that, Oh, my team doesn't have, doesn't have my back. And it makes it tough to make saves. Like you'd mentioned, the game is changing, and it's not just the NHL. It's every single sport there is is changing. Retaliation-based attacks are now being just put out of the game everywhere. And let's look at the MLB, for example, when the Houston Astros thing happened, and then all of a sudden, the NBA was like, don't intentionally peg these guys because then you'll get suspended. You see it there, right? And then NFL, they're taking out emotion based off of taunting, and you aren't 
allowed to celebrate. If you make one derogatory term, if you turn the wrong way, you get penalized. And here in the NHL, there's no longer like a goon on your squad anymore. There's nobody who is designated to be the fighter because they're slowly being pushed out of the game. And the only one you see right now is Chara pretty much. Like Chara is the only dude. Ryan Reeves there. probably too. And Ryan Reeves. Yeah. But the, the back in the day, you'd have at least one goon per team. One person was just there to fight somebody. And now it's not. And this kind of brings me back to what we talked about last week, how um, that guy from the abs who's having a hell of a year. Nazim Kadri. Yeah. Nazim Kadri. And we talked about how if he gets a penalty in, in a tough situation, is that now going to disregard his entirety of a season? And this comes back to this too, because what's going to happen if you do retaliation, you get penalized for it. And sometimes the means does not always matter to what the end produces. Cause at the end of the day, you're going to have the penalty and hurt your team. And do I agree with it? No, I don't. Like I want the emotion there, but the fact of the matter is at the end of the day, what's going to happen is a penalty yeah. and you, you're now off the ice. Sure. And so people are trying to figure out, is this penalty worth it? Cause you no longer have a goon. You have most players on your team who are good at what they do. Can that one, can you risk one person out and like be on, on in the box for two minutes? Can you do that if you want to win the game? Sometimes you can't. And this is what's happening now. Yeah, I I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I guess you, you're, you're weighing whether whether the taking a penalty is worth it. And in the case of, of Montreal, they knew that they were going on a power play. But we're dealing with a Montreal team that is sad. It's it's worse than I thought it was going to be. Like we thought I, I did. Th- I mean, I know you said earlier this season that we shouldn't be expecting that they were going to be bad this is historic and now and now we're seeing no responses to to situations like this it's like you're not even going to make the playoffs at least have some some fight and 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 it just it's so sad and i'm not sure if it's because it's you've seen a lot of it in canada i don't know if it's because there's no fans i I think that that might incite some some emotional response but if this is how it's going to be we're seeing it in the nfl with the taunting it's just it's a scary it's a a scary look in in my opinion and um we need emotion because that's what we are emotional human beings now you have to you know within reason i understandably but for 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 a goaltender to lose his helmet like that and it it just makes it very tough for for him to make a save for you because he's like am i gonna get run now like (laughs) is this how it's gonna be so um you know just just my just my two cents but we're getting to the two numbers um my number is two is the number of bench bosses who were let go and subsequently replaced we saw um in montreal we saw martin saying the we take over um as as bench boss in uh in montreal and um in edmonton uh where i where my favorite team it plays um uh tip it was fired and was replaced by Jay Woodcroft. He's the, he was the former uh, head coach of the um, Bakersfield Condors who was our AHL affiliate. Um, James, um, where do you think Montreal goes from here? They haven't, they haven't won any games since, uh, since Martin St. Louis has been behind the bench, but really I don't know that he's necessarily there to, to get the wins as much as he is to try and bring the bleeding from like gushing out the, out the stomach to maybe like just slowly dripping out of the stomach. (laughs) Honestly, man, it doesn't matter who's behind the bench right now. That team needs a reset. Um, I don't even know if he's there to stop the bleeding, bro. Like at this point, they're just trying to get to the finish line. And it doesn't help, doesn't matter how far behind they are. They're just trying to finish because when it comes to the offseason, they can do an actual GM cert, like use their GM to actually find a coach that they want instead of just hiring the incumbent. 
which they just did. Um, they did not do their due diligence in finding the person that they needed for the culture that, that they wanted to create. And they, they need time to do that. You can't just do it mid-season. They literally just did that to send a message saying, we're, they literally did that to wave the white flag. They're done. The season's over with. They're just trying to get to the finish line. And however they get there, they get there. I, I, I actually think it's gonna, it's an interesting call because who Martin St. Louis is in history was, is one of the most fascinating hockey players ever because he was an undrafted guy, five, six, five foot six, five foot five, very small guy. And he wasn't, he wasn't even supposed to be good. And he turned it into a superstar and he, he has, so, he has the biggest chip on his shoulder on his tiny shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, and, don't hate small people. <laughs> no, I, I'm not. I, you know, I, I, I adore him. I grew up idolizing him. So I, I, while he has zero NHL experience, this is an opportunity to see if he even wants to do it. I think it's kind of a, it's an opportunity for both parties where it's like, you know what? He's, he, he's the kind of guy that's going to take this kind of opportunity and say, no one thinks I'm going to do well at this. I'm going to do well at this. That's what he's done. His he has whole, zero NHL experience. He has zero NHL. And he's, he's now picking up the team that is under the most scrutiny. Come on, bro. That's tough. I, I actually, I, I think it's, I think it's a great, I think it's a great one because it doesn't matter. I mean, if, if he doesn't like it, then he doesn't, it, it, it can't get worse. Like it's already at, they're at rock bottom. It can't get worse than this. So it's like, who cares? Like you said, who cares if, if he ends up finding, finding a way to develop the culture and, 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 and do some things right in the next few, few games and loves it. And, and, and the, the players love him Cause you know, uh, Cole Caulfield, that's his player. That's his guy. Cole Caulfield adored Martin St. Louis. And now he's being coached by him. Like that, that's, that just sends, you know, chills up your spine. So maybe that's enough to tell these little, to tell these young kids that we are not okay with, with getting completely drubbed to seven, one to the, to the um, Edmonton Oilers. I, I, I don't mind it. Uh, Tyler, what about Edmonton? <laughs> we took, we took Jay Woodcroft from Bakersfield, plugged him into the, um, uh, into, into Edmonton. And so far he is one and oh, and as his first, um, as his first, uh, time as an NHL coach, I think he re- he should retire now with a 1000, uh, winning percentage, but Tyler, <laughs> where do you think, where do you think Edmonton's going from here? Interesting. I thought that they, uh, brought up the guy from their HL. Um, if they wanted to make a change, you would think it'd be somewhere outside that they thought the change would, would be beneficial for their team. So I thought that was interesting. Um, Obviously, they see something in him that they didn't see with with, with their current uh, NHL guy. Um, I don't know if you can speak more to that trade uh, than I can, but um, obviously, you know, they felt like it was the right move for them right now. And, you know, as I I mentioned last week, like, you know, this specific division is by no means uh, out of the reach for for this Oilers team. Both them and uh, Calgary kind of got screwed over with COVID there for a while. So they have a lot of games at hand and they're not that far back from a playoff spot. Um, they have two of the best players in the game right now. Um, there's no reason why they can't be a playoff team. Um, so hopefully this, this move works out for them. Um, I was a little surprised to be honest with you, um, especially with the, the person they hired. It kind of just seems they kind of, you know, just got a new face with the same kind of system in play. Cause you usually how it works. I don't know if this is the truth hockey, but in baseball, like if you, if you hire a guy from your mate, from your major or your from your minor league system, he has the same values and, and everything that the whole organization preaches, you know, it's just, he might have a slightly different take on it or just a different personality that matches better. Maybe that's why they chose him. Um, but in terms of their style of hockey, it should be pretty much the same. So you're not, you're not getting a completely different way to play the game. 
usually, unless I'm completely um, off on that. Um, you're maybe just getting maybe a guy that they like, maybe just his personality is better. They, they feel like he can handle certain tough decisions better. You know, that certainly could be the case, but um, I just thought the hire was interesting of, of who they replaced him with. I have never been more excited for a coach in my entire life. Right. Um, Jay Woodcroft is abs- absolutely has been crushing it in um, in Bakersfield. He was he was one he was the only coach that was not fired when my, when Todd McClellan was fired um, after he came from San Jose. He's the only they they said okay you know what we like Jay we're going to give him a chance in Bakersfield. He's won a Calder Cup with them. He has made the team very very formidable, um, and he's developed the younger players. He's really developed the defensemen in our, in our, um, in our uh, uh, farm team. So having the young mind that we've needed a young mind, he's 40, I think he's like 45 years old. He's not, he's not a member of the old boys club. They Edmonton specifically wanted to keep him from the, from the old, the actual Oilers culture issues that they have been facing. And now they're like, you know what, this guy, this guy, I think was set to, um, was set to be poached by a different team at the end of the season, in my opinion. And he's, he's not going anywhere. We get to keep him. And I think he's, I think he's exactly what we need. He's, he's worked with McDavid as an assistant coach um, and, and dry and uh, Nugent Hopkins, but he's really worked personally with Bouchard with all these younger kids. And I have never been more excited for a bench boss in my entire life so far. Um, not, not that I want to upstage you, Tyler. Uh, you just didn't, I mean, to be fair, I, I follow this team very, very deep. So I can understand where, where your head's at. I mean, I, I totally understand that. Um, this, this situation is a lot more unique than a typical one, because I think that I'd agree with you. If this was any other team that I didn't know the intricacies of, I'd be like, what? So I understand. I appreciate that. And you know what? You could be right. We'll see. Um, like I said, he should, he should have just retired the other day. Cause he's, he's a hundred percent coach right now. <laughs> um, last one is 51. 51 is the number of saves by Thatcher Demko in a heroic stealer of a game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. That is the highest save total by a Canuck goalie since 1985. James, we're going back to the Vancouver Canucks. We have, we are at the, we are at the halfway point for this team. Travis green was 18, was eight, five, 15 and two before uh, Bruce Boudreau came along. Bruce Boudreau was 14, six and four. Thatcher Demko is looking really good. The Pacific division is way tighter than we expected. I think they may make the playoffs. Don't you? No. What? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) There are so many other teams that are like viable right now. True. But but what I'm saying is you said there was no chance. They have a nine point. They have a 9% chance right now, which is, is... I think they were at 1% when, when, before the coaching change. That and that okay. and that's assuming that's that's Edmonton coming down, which makes it t- which makes it tougher. Uh, Anaheim's coming down. Uh, San Jose can't fi- really figure it out on a consistent basis. Like they have a viable chance here, no? They went from one percent to nine percent. They went up eight percent with a Hall of Fame level coach who supposedly changed up the entire system. Eight percent isn't enough to warrant a playoff shot when you have this good of a coach behind your bench. Relatively speaking, a 1% to 9% jump is huge, but let's look at the bigger picture here. 9% ain't shit, dude. If I had a 9% chance of surviving a surgery, I'm not fucking doing it. If I have a 9% chance of winning a million dollars or getting my hand cut off, I'm not doing that either. 9% isn't enough to guarantee a damn thing. Look, 
I, you you are right. I mean, but I, I, I want, but I do want to ask this and move it to Tyler. Mm-hmm. They do they do look a lot better than they did, you know, twenty games ago. That that's clear, and we can all agree on that. And if you wanted, and if you want to deny that, I, I can I can shoot off a bunch of stats because they've beaten good teams in close games, and they've lost games against good teams in with one like, you know an overtime or shootout or one goal games. Tyler. Does this change what the Vancouver Canucks do in the uh, in the in the trade deadline? Do they do, do they now not do anything, or are they still sellers? That is a really good question. I think that with this head coaching change, and like you said, they've clearly shown that they can possibly start to play the potential um, that I think a lot of people expected this team to go. Um, these are such such tough questions. This is why I'm not a GM. Um, <laughs> I think you have to go based on the whole picture. I still think there's a lot of work to do with this team, despite that. I mean, it's a very small sample size with this coach overall. Uh, It is very good. Um, I think you have to make moves, I think, to improve. Um, So by that point, they technically be buyers, I think. I don't think they're going to be – I don't think it'd be smart to do major moves still. Like, I don't think they need to completely sell out or completely, you know, go for the best guy. Um, They're not there yet. Um, But I think – I would think that this recent stretch would give you some hope that, that maybe this team can turn it around. And I think you can still kind of start building towards a better future instead of completely starting from scratch. I think, I think uh, the coaching change has clearly done something. And like I said, this, it's not like this team was bad. The coaching change came in. Now they're good. This team was supposed to be one of the contenders in that division. It just wasn't working out. Hopefully they've something's clicked, something's happened. And maybe you've kind of saved it with that coaching change and maybe some other tweaks here and there. And hopefully that can propel you back on track. Um, so I don't really see them being sellers. I think that they're going to make maybe a couple small moves here and there. Um, that, that's what I would do. But then again, I'm not a GM, so I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, look, I, it's going to, it's still a tough road. It's still a very, very tough road. They, they do have half their season still. Um, this is a very consequent consequential, um, uh, week for all three of us and Vancouver fans. Uh, Vancouver plays San Jose. They play Anaheim. They play Seattle. They play Calgary. Those are all, those are four point games. That's if they let's, I'm not saying they're gonna, but if they sweep that all of a sudden they're in the playoffs, that's how it works. Uh, Anaheim is going to play, uh, is going to play the Oilers. Uh, Kings play the Oilers. San Jose plays the Oilers. All of a sudden, all the, all the Pacific division teams are playing each other and it's, and all the teams that are close are playing each other. It's going to be a bloodbath and, we will see what next week looks like because it's, it's going to be very interesting. I think, I think we might see a little bit of movement, um, especially in the Pacific division. Um, and, and, you know, the, the points are tight. Um, the ducks are t- ducks and Kings are tied. Oilers are four points out. Like it's, it's tight. Um, so um, it will be very interesting to see what kind of um, boils down. I don't want the Canucks to make the playoffs. I just find it very interesting that they have looked very, very good of, as of late. And it is, it's, it, it, it's what I honestly expected. Um, and Thatcher Demko stealing games like that is such a confidence boost. So that's all I have for you guys. Um, I appreciate you guys. Um, you guys did a great job like always. So that's that. Thank you. Trading. Uh, yeah. Like you said, hockey's starting to get a little interesting. You got a lot of uh, divisions up for grabs. Uh, we had a little bit of a weird kind of like sort of break that was supposed to be the Olympic break. That wasn't so. King Kings are playing for the first time tomorrow night. Uh, trade, we're going to that, so I'm I'm, I'm excited. I'm to, playing in that game after. Yeah, he's gonna Chapman. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's gonna play in that game. It's gonna be it's 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 gonna be a fun night of hockey. And then the next night we got 
you know, gold medal games. We got uh, Vegas, Colorado. I mean, it's a good time to be a hockey fan right now. So hopefully you, you guys are tuning in. Uh, when we come back, we're going to round it off with our final segment of the day. Um, I'm just going to kind of go through three different topics and kind of just do random things because I think there's just a few things to talk about in multiple different areas. So we're going to uh, dig through all those when we come back. With health concerns on the rise, it's as important as ever to keep your people safe. Dimer isn't another BS COVID company. They've been developing their tech to kill germs and save lives since 2014. Dimer's original UBC products have won them partnerships with some of the best technology companies in the country and earned them a spot on Time Magazine's Best Inventions of 2020. Dimer started out disinfecting airplanes. Now they're in hospitals, athletic facilities, hotels, classrooms, basically anywhere people might have been sick. When it comes to keeping your players, employees, guests, and customers in your facility safe, trust Dimer. For TLDR listeners, they are offering free disinfection as a service in select areas. So that means they will come disinfect your facility for free. You can take them up on this offer by visiting dimeruv.com and at dimeruv on social media. Use code TLDR for your first disinfection as a service appointment for free. That's Dimer, like diner with an M, as in Mike Trout. Ever heard of him? Kill more germs, prevent more infections, save more lives. D-I-M-E-R-U-V dot com. Welcome back, everybody, for our final segment of the episode. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, when I was trying to come up with a segment this week, there was just a lot of different things to talk about and multiple different um, uh, sports. And I didn't really feel like just honing in on one. I wanted to kind of hit each one um, and kind of dig into it. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is the NBA trade deadline, uh, which passed, um, which was pretty crazy. Uh, a, a, a lot going on there. Um, but since also we haven't talked basketball in so long, I just want to give a real brief standings update just kind of just to go through. So you guys have a, 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 a picture of the playoffs going in right now, uh, starting off in the Eastern Conference, starting from one to ten. Uh, we, we, we're going Heat, Bulls, Cavaliers, Bucks, 76ers, Celtics, Raptors, Nets, Hornets, Hawks. Those that those Atlanta Hawks that I told my, my, my biggest disappointment of the year starting to play a lot better and are currently in a playoff spot. Um, switching over to the Western Conference, starting from the top down, we have the Suns, Warriors, Grizzlies, Jazz, Mavericks, Nuggets, Timberwolves, Clippers, Lakers, and Trailblazers. Um, so as we kind of mentioned a few weeks ago, a few surprises, a few disappointments in those, um, but that's kind of where we are in the NBA right now. Pretty crazy NBA season. I think a lot of unexpected teams that aren't doing very well um, and, a, and a few teams that weren't expected to do great are near or top of the, of, of, of the conference standings. Um, but let's get in the trade deadline. Mainly the, the main blockbuster, the one that grabbed all the headlines was the trade between the 76ers and the uh, Brooklyn Nets. And that uh, the Brooklyn Nets sent James Harden and Paul Millsap to Philly for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first round picks. Um, pretty crazy. This is what we love about trade deadlines is this crazy blockbuster trade. And this is, this is, this is two playoff teams who could potentially play each other in, uh, in the, in the playoffs. Uh, trading big name players, Ben Simmons, obviously that saga has been going on for a long time. Uh, it's finally come to an end. James Harden recently has been unhappy in, in Brooklyn. 
So there's a lot going on there, kind of just players that aren't happy. I think both these teams kind of got rid of players that didn't want to be there, um, but could potentially really help both of these teams. Um, so James, I want to ask you, like, do you think there's a winner in this trade? Do you think, like, how do you see this, this, this trade going out for both of these teams? I think this is an easy one, man. I think the winner was the Nets, big time. We traded away James Harden and Paul Millsap, which are, you know, decent players, and James Harden is a great player. What you get in return is what's amazing to me. You get Ben Simmons, you get a great defender on the perimeter, which you needed. Seth Curry, who is not Steph Curry, but has very similar skill set to shooting the three ball. Andre Drummond, who is now their starting center, who put up 11 points and nine rebounds tonight against the Kings. That's almost a double-double in his first game with the Nets. And you're forgetting the fact that they get two first-round draft picks. They're setting themselves up for the future. And now let's look at the starting lineup, right? You have Kyrie. You got Ben Simmons. You got um, KD. You got Drummond. You got uh, Patty Mills coming off the bench. You got Seth Curry. You have weapons for the first 10 guys on your team. You, not many teams can say that. LaMarcus Aldridge, former All-Star, coming off the bench. Andre Drummond is a former All-Star. was a double-double machine. He's going to be your, your starter now. Blake Griffin, coming off the bench. I mean, he doesn't really do much anyway nowadays, but the fact of the matter is he's on that team. These players can produce at a high level given any single night. They're going to be very hard to defend. For the 76ers side, they're a two-headed machine now. they got James Harden and Joel Embiid. That's pretty much it. What are you going to do from there? I know Doc said he really wanted a guard, and he got a guard. But who really won this trade was the Nets. They look a lot like the Walmart version of the Warriors back in the day. <laughs> and that, I mean, I like that take. even if they're the Walmart version of the Warriors, that Warriors team was one of the best ever. That's true. Uh, I like that take. Uh, trade in. What do you got? You're holding. Yeah, two, you're there's holding one winner. Two. There's one winner. It's Ben Simmons. He's the winner of the trade. He's going to a team where he can play to his strengths. He doesn't need to be relied on to score. Because you got James Harden and you got, Ky- I'm sorry, James Harden. You got uh, KD and you got Kyrie Irving. Those guys are one of the most prolific uh, scorers on the planet. And Ben Simmons can now slot in and play the much needed defense that that team needs. Wow. He, he, he's able to play his game and not, and probably not, not have to deal with as much criticism because the other two are going to overshadow his lack of scoring. I mean, this is a perfect opportunity for him and I don't even like him. <laughs> So you guys agree that you think with, you know, Ben Simmons, we've kind of talked a lot about him on this podcast and, and, and what's going on there. You guys feel just the change of scenery alone is going to, is going to be good for him. He's going to fit in with Brooklyn and, you know, he's going to have not even this. a change of scenery, bro. It's the fact of the matter that he did not want to be a 76er. It wasn't that he was in a slump and needed to get out. He felt disrespected by the staff and the players that surrounded him. He didn't want to play there. It's as simple as that. Once he's out, he's out. He actually gets to play again, much like James Harden. It's the same exact deal. Those two got traded for the same reasons. They just wanted out of that team for a new team. It's yeah. not a change of scenery that's going to change because typically you say change of scenery for some player who is slumping and needs a change of scenery to get better. Ben Simmons is still good. All he needed was a new team that believed in him and not the toxic environment that he was in. Right. Well, uh, and it's also a stylistic thing, right? Like he, he's able to kind of just he, – he's not – it's just a different style that, that they play. And I think the Nets just are, are looking for a player like that. That, that, that. Maybe that's not a change of scenery, but it's definitely a stylistic change, no? Yeah, yeah for absolutely. sure. Uh, kind of flipping over the other side for Harden. You know, he's, he's kind of had his, his, his share of struggles lately. And he just seems like a player that, you know, kind of decides when and if he wants to kind of be 
himself is his, his full potential self. Um, do you see that one, two punch James Harden and uh, Joel Embiid, you know, I, I know that I, the, clearly the Brooklyn Nets got more in return and probably have a more complete team now than, than, than the Sixers. But I mean, does that raise eyebrows? Does that, does that make you strike some fear in the sense of the, the Eastern conference that they should be looking out for this one, two punch of Harden and, uh, and uh, uh, Embiid James. First things first, Joel Embiid's got to stay healthy. That's tough to do when you're a big man in this league. Secondly, James Harden is as flaky as you are, Tyler, when it comes to plants. I have another friend of mine, but I don't want to say his name in case he uh, listens to the podcast. But wow. I do, we do have flaky pie. friends. Yeah. James, or James Harden is going to go from back and forth on whether or not he wants to play for a given team. He's never going to stay in one spot because he's never going to be happy because he's never going to get what he wants and the world revolves around him. When he first got to Brooklyn, he was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. I've always wanted this. Thank God I'm here. Not even a year later, he's like, I want out of here. Come on, man. Same thing when he got to the Rockets. He wanted everything. He wanted everybody. He wanted CP3. Then him and CP3 didn't get along. Ship out CP3. James Harden gets pissy. He then leaves. He's never going to be happy anywhere he goes. It's going to be really hard to rely on somebody like that for a championship. Yeah, I hear you. I think that's that's kind of how I feel about it. I think he's just that's not really a guy that I want on my team either. You know, it just kind of seems like he, I, j- jumping from team to team is never a really good sign. It's not a good sign in, in, in real life with, 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 uh, with work. If you're working somewhere different every year, you know, it's like, what, why, why is that the case? Um, you know, it's usually cause you just, for some reason can't seem to, you know, fit in and just it, um, whether it's a personality thing or whatever it is. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, how this trade works out. I would love to see these two teams face off in the playoffs. Uh, just to kind of see the result of a seven game series. Um, I kind of agree with kind of the consensus so far that I do think that the Brooklyn Nets did win this trade. Um, it just seems like they just got the more complete package in return. Um, I think they hit more spots um, that they needed versus the uh, seven. I think this, the Sixers got one um, and the Nets probably got like two or three, if not more um, with, with this trade. So I think overall, they certainly certainly won it. Um Trading, talking about some other things that maybe didn't happen. The Lakers, they've been in a lot of scrutiny. A lot of people thought that they would make a move with uh, Westbrook or something else because they just cannot seem to figure it out on, on, on the court. Uh, they didn't do anything, really. They traded Rondo away. That's really the only thing that they really did. Um, they did not trade Westbrook, so they're going to keep this, this, this three that they had in mind from the beginning. So just – I'm just curious, like, your opinion. Do you like the fact that they stuck with the plan and they're going to keep grinding it out and see what happens? Or do you think that they should have jumped ship and just and traded away Westbrook and you know figured out something else? I think I, James said that the the Montreal Canadiens waved the white flag. I think the Lakers just waved the white flag by not doing shit. They could and they couldn't right because they couldn't they couldn't move the they couldn't move their first round picks according to some rule that doesn't allow you to do that. They had they had no trade chips there, so and they and they're not going to have that trade chip until July first. So. I, I think that they kind of look at what they have and they're like, we don't really have much to trade. Like they do, but it's like, is it going to make us better t- today? Like I, it, they're kind of stuck in a situation where they, they, they tried to um, make spaghetti stick on the wall. It didn't stick. And it's like, we have no more spaghetti to throw at the wall. Like <laughs> we ran out. It was our only noodle <laughs> like, and it failed. Um, and I, I still don't even know if they're going to make the top 10 at this point. Like they're, I don't even, 
the, the only thing that's that that they have going for them is the fact that the Trailblazers can't exactly figure it out and the Pelicans can't figure it out. Like that that's what they're banking on. I, I the Trailblazers are not gonna figure it out. The trade race CJ McCollum, they're done too. So so then you're dealing with the Spurs or the Pelicans. Like I I mean that literally if I'm a Lakers fan, I'm only happy because those two teams just can't figure it out. Like that's what you're relying on. You're 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 more relying on teams not making it than you are making it. Does that make sense? You're not winning yourself in. You're you're having other teams lose your way in. Like that's definitely not a situation not, you want to be in. Yeah, you definitely don't want to be in that spot. Um, Lakers are unwatchable, man. I don't think I've watched a Laker game in like two months. I just, I, I it's just not worth it. I just think that I'm, I've, I've kind of, I've, I've, I've kind of folded on this team probably a month or two ago. Like I, I just, it's frustrating, you know. Um, if they make the playoffs, great, but I don't really expect them to do much at all. Um, it's going to be a first round exit, if not a first game exit, or however the freaking weird ass rules work now. But um, yeah, it's. I it's wonder hard. if if not putting a bunch of of personalities together. I mean, I, I we now wonder if 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 that's I mean that's what their experiment was, and it blew up in their face. Like, look at all these other teams that have role players that do something else. Like they have maybe two or three big guys, but there's role players that fill in those gaps. You can't just put a bunch of, of personalities together and hope it works. Cause it clearly hasn't. Yeah. I think that's I don't just really kind even of... think it's that I it's Russell Westbrook is bad. He is a bad basketball player at this point in time in his career. He was once an all-star and he was once projected to be a hall of fame player. Not so much anymore. Oh my God. He is he makes the dumbest mistakes. I watch a lot of basketball. He makes some of the dumbest mistakes I've ever seen. The dude dribbles the ball out of bounds for no reason in the backcourt when there's nobody around him. He has 17 turnovers a game. He airballs his free throws. You don't airball free throws. Even Trayton doesn't play basketball. He hates basketball. He does not airball his free throws. And Russell Westbrook Thanks, does. <laughs> it's, it's, it's next level bad. And he is the reason why this team is bad. He's taken one minutes. And now he's creating a toxic environment where – Nobody can really succeed because he's being benched in the fourth quarter. He's being benched in the most crucial times of the game, and he's throwing a fit about it. Instead of embracing the fact that, yeah, I suck, I need to get better. Let's use this to get better. He's just being pissy about it, and he, it's super annoying. And I I never liked the Russell Westbrook signing to begin with, and you all know that. I thought that was the dumbest thing that Lakers could have done. And I'm right, right, and I'm not even close to being wrong with this one because he killed this Lakers team. Yeah, James, you 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 called that from the get go. I remember you 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 hated on it from day one when we talked about it, and uh, that's certainly how it's played out. You know, I, I've cert- I'm certainly over. I'm not watching Lakers pretty much the rest of the season unless something dramatic happens, which I don't expect it to. So, um, yeah, so that's what we got for NBA right now, guys. Uh, moving on to my next next topic here, we got the Winter Olympics. Um, they're still going on there in Beijing. A uh, quick little medal count update. You know, last time I talked about how poor the U- the U.S. was doing. Uh, they've picked up some, some steam here. Um, they currently sit in third place in the middle count overall, and they had zero gold medals last week. Now they got seven of them. Um, so they're doing a really, really great job. Um, so they have 16 medals overall, um, seven golds, six silvers, and three bronze. Uh, and second place is the ROC, AKA Russia, uh, with four golds, six silvers, and eight bronze. And then in first place right now is the Winter Olympic giant Norway. Uh, they have nine gold medals, five silvers, and seven bronze medals uh, for, for, for a total of 21. Um, so right now, uh, Norway is kind of uh, running away with it. But um, kind of people that are kind of in the hunt there for the top three, Austria also has 16, Germany is 15, Canada 15, 
uh, Netherlands 12. Um, so good, good, good competitiveness so far overall. Um, really like the way that the United States is kind of turning around. I gave him a lot of shit. So I gave him a little TLDR bump right there. Uh, Traden, how are you enjoying the Winter Olympics? Kind of this this this, this past this, this past week overall. Uh, kind of what are your highlights? It's good. Um, I mean, I I I think the highlight is um, snowboard cross. We kind of dominated there. Um, Jacob Ellis, you're 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 an incredible um, snowboarder at 35 years old. Um, to to be that fast is crazy. Um, we're 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 Michaela Schifrin starting to starting to, we're starting to see a smile again, which was nice to see, even though she only won ninth, it was just nice to see her smile again. Um, it, other than that, I, don't, I mean, it's good. I mean, there's, there's not major highlights. Uh, I guess Nathan Chen dominating him, but I think we already spoke about that. <laughs> yeah. Chen, Chen did a crazy, incredible job in, in, in figure skating. Um, speaking of figure skating, we're going to get to the, the main bread and butter of this, of, of this part. Uh, Camilla Valieva, which is the 15-year-old Russian figure skater who I gave mad props to last week, uh, she popped a positive, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for a performance-enhancing substance, uh, a substance that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. You can look it up. But basically, it's set it up, set it up. Uh, trimetazidine, trimetazidine. That sounds good. <laughs> that, that sounds easy. <laughs> I uh, feel like the the emphasis is on the wrong syllable on that one. Trimetazidine. 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 <laughs> those are the, the three options. Either way, uh, it is a performance sensing substance that's been shown that it can improve endurance in athletes. It's been banned uh, by the IOC since 2014. Uh, she tested positive for that substance back in December, um, which makes this kind of complicated. She's, they've, they've done drug tests since they've gotten to the Olympics in Beijing. Uh, she's tested negative for any performance sensing drugs since she's arrived in Beijing. And obviously December was pretty recent. Uh, so went through this whole, so we found this out after Russia had won the gold medal in the team event and she had um, skated twice and won first place in both of her events. Um, now we shift to the individual event, which she's projected to win by a landslide. As we mentioned, she's far and away the, the, the best female uh, figure skater in the world right now. Um, and the, uh, the individual event is coming up this week, I believe on Wednesday or possibly even tomorrow. Um, and she's going to be skating. The, uh, there, uh, there's an appeal process, uh, the kind of governing body that kind of looks over this whole stuff that, does, that makes these decisions uh, is, going to, is going to allow her to compete in the Olympics despite this, this drug test, uh, mainly for two reasons that they stated. A, because she's a minor, which I don't really understand completely why that really matters. Um, and B, because she did test negative for any PEDs since the Olympics began. Um, and this, and this test result was delayed because of reasons that I don't really fully understand. And we, and we found out, like I said, like after she had skated her first two events, uh, last week. So the IOC, which is the governing body of the Olympics, uh, said that they will not award her a medal if she does win, uh, which she probably will. Uh, so that's going to be really strange knowing that when she skates and when she takes the ice, uh, when she performs and she has the best score of the, of the event and she's, you know, in first place, she's not going to win a gold medal because of what's going on here. Really, really weird, complicated stuff. Um, but uh, James, I kind of want to get your take on it. Like, how do you, do you, uh, do you agree with their decision to allow her to compete? Obviously Russia has a history of this kind of stuff going on, which I think should have played a role in it. Um, but what do you kind of think of this whole situation? I don't think she should be able to compete. 
what's the point if you're not going to medal if you're not going to have a score for your squad for your country not your squad but i mean also your squad yeah. there's what's the point of being out there because right now you're kind of giving some fanfare to somebody who broke the rules and i get it russia's done this time and time again so they should know you probably shouldn't do this they do it anyway what if you're trying to really win this event why don't you let somebody else from russia take the stage because you know for sure that camilla is not going to do it she could be the best person out there, but she's not going to win you the event. So why don't you give another Russian another chance to do this? That seems about right. Instead, you're going to trot her out there to do her best, get some fanfare, and not score a damn thing. What's the point? Yeah, it seems like a really silly decision uh, to me. Uh, Drayden, what do you think? And do, do you think this tarnishes, you know, kind of Camille's accomplishments so far? Um you know, do, do you, do you, do you, you know, she, she did something no female has, has, has ever done. Do you feel like that's kind of just now there's an asterisk next to it, as we, as we like to say, um, and then kind of just thoughts on, on the, on the decision to allow her to compete. Yeah. I mean, she's 15 years old. So, you know, that the, the anti-doping codes says that she's a protected person, which, which, you know, leads you to think because, because of her age, she does, she doesn't have the, the they're deeming her she doesn't have the responsibility to to make the decisions the, the proper decisions with the with the correct mental fortitude very very major reason why we we don't try um, minors in in adult court it's it's a very similar argument um the issue here is that the issue here there there was a long gap between the test um it, it, th- this is this is not a this is not a black and white issue right it it, it seems like it would just it would be an easy fix to just have her not compete, but that doesn't fix the actual issue of the minor thing. And you have to think, given the fact that the that the that the Russians have obviously been very liberal with their uses of doping, and there's a reason that they ha- they're they're not competing under Russia; they're competing as you know the the Olympic Russian Committee or whatever. Um, says that I you have to think that. Even she may, for all we know, she may not have even known what she was taking. She, she may have been told by her coaches, or and I know that she's she's coached by a very aggressive, a little bit of a of a of a um of a interesting coach that maybe she was just given stuff and she was she was told just to take it or else you know we don't know. I mean it, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's an interesting uh, interesting conversation to have. Unfortunately. She did not test positive during the games itself, which we, ha- which is kind of being overlooked, but she did test positive in the past. And that, that's the thing. It's, 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 it's very, it's very interesting. I mean, it, it, it's whether there's going to be irreparable harm to, to, um, to anybody. And at the end of the day, someone's going to get hurt, whether, whether you let her compete in, 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 in medal is, you know, or, or, or compete is, is, you know, a slap in the face of those other competitors. But then again, if, given the fact that the rules kind of bar her from, 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 um, from liability and responsibility, it, it hurts future skaters from Russia that are younger. Cause it seems like every single year they have, they have a young uh, skater come in. So this is, this is a, this is a bad issue. And the IOC really needs to figure out the proper ways to, to deal with it. Yeah. It's, it's, insane timing obviously with everything going on with the olympics right now um it's just another stain on on kind of russia and kind of the way that they seem to be doing things and with 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 uh peds and all that stuff um unfortunately it wasn't really that surprising you know i mean i think the timing of it is surprising but i think that you know oh another russian uh athlete tested positive that's like 
kind of what they do. Um, that's why there's not, they're not flying the uh, Russian flag right now, right? They're the ROC. Um, for me, that's kind of the, 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 the biggest takeaway is like, you would think they would learn their lesson. It's still, they're still doing this shit. It's pretty insane. Um, for me, like, I, I still think, I don't know how much of this drug is able to contribute to her landing a quad flip. I don't know. I can't answer that. It's pretty amazing that she does. Um, I still think that she's an incredible athlete and I think she's, it's worth watching. Um, it'll be interesting, obviously with this whole thing going on with the, with IOC saying they're not going to award a medal and she's the clear favorite to win it. It's going to be makes for some interesting drama over there in, in uh, Beijing. Um, so moving on uh, to my final uh, point here, I'm talking baseball for the first time in a long time because there really hasn't been much to talk about. Uh, we're in the lockout, of course. Um, so lockout update, what do we got? Uh, sides are talking again for the first time in 11, they, they, they met for the first time in 11 days on Saturday, MLB extended their offer to the Players Association. So currently as we speak, the Players Association is reviewing that. They probably won't accept it. They'll probably counter. Um, so we're going to keep going. Um, it's been kind of this whole thing over and over again. Kind of the mo more dramatic thing that happened a couple of weeks ago was that the MLB wanted a third party arbitrator to kind of talk to both sides and kind of dictate and kind of help uh, negotiations out. Um, but and the player association said no to that because uh, they kind of made their offer to MLB and MLB didn't counter. And they're like, why do we need this third party? Like, just give us your offer. Like we can figure this out. Um, it's kind of, there's obviously tensions on both sides. Um, kind of the latest offers seem to be a little bit better in terms of the meeting somewhere in the middle, but there's still a lot going on, especially financially and the kind of the, the, the economic side of it that seems to be um, kind of still pretty far um, uh, from getting anything done. Uh, spring training was supposed to start next week. I think clearly that's not going to start on time. Um, kind, of the, kind of the timing of this whole thing is that if you, we want opening day to happen, there needs to be a CBA agreed upon within two weeks. Um, Cause basically you need about a month to kind of get ready is kind of what MLB wants to happen. Um, so if a CBA does not get agreed upon in two weeks, we're going to start losing regular season baseball games pretty soon here. So um, like I said, so currently as we speak, the player association are reviewing MLB's latest offer. MLB is not, or the, the player association is not expected to accept uh, MLB's current offer and it'll kind of go back to, to the negotiating table. Um, for me, as long as they keep talking, it's a good thing. This, these, these weird stalls where, they're, where they go weeks without talking is not helping anybody. Um, the fact that they waited, I think, almost a whole month to even begin talking when the lockout began is another reason for kind of worry and where we're kind of where we're at with the timing of this thing. So um, it seems like there is progress being made, albeit very slowly. Um, trading kind of where is your worry meter right now with baseball? Um, I know, I know it's a very complicated thing like economics and talking about the money part of the game. And a lot of fans are really disconnected from that. I totally get it. I, I personally am a little disconnected from it because it just talks about things that we really, we, we don't really understand. And we don't, we can't connect to the kind of money they're talking about these millions of dollars that they're arguing over just seems silly, but you know, kind of just from a fan perspective, like where do you think these negotiations are at? Are you positive? Not so positive kind of where, where's your, emotions on that i mean the the issue is 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 i i mean i obviously care a lot more about the nhl so if they were in the middle of negotiations i would be I, i'm always hyper in it um this i don't I, because there's no information coming out it's it's tough to even have a gauge um i i because it's been so stally 
I'm I'm gonna I'm actually worried. Uh, I I'm worried that we're not gonna get it right away. We might have a shortened season. Um, obviously, I don't want that, but I, I I don't know what to say because like, what do you say? Like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it's definitely worrisome, James. Are you kind of the same boat of that worry, or do you feel like within two weeks they're gonna get something done? I am definitely on the same boat of that worry uh, because within two weeks, that's a short time frame for the amount of time they've been working on this for. They've been working on this for like, what, two months now? Ish, give or take. Yeah. And we've got nothing, literally nothing. And I something that just popped up is that the MLB or somebody wants to cut a bunch of minor league players now. That's not going to go over well with the, the Players Association. It's not going to go well with anybody. And that with such a drastic demand, it's not looking likely, which is which sucks, man. Like nothing's gonna happen in the next two weeks. Typically, if it's anywhere close, they're like, oh, they agree on this, this, and this, but they still have to fix this. Right now, they're not agreeing on anything. It's gonna take a lot longer than we all wanted to take. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh it, it, it seems pretty dark and gloomy right now. Um, it seems like there's just so much disagreement on a lot of those big core issues. Um, and there's really, there's, I, I think there is some positive direction, but it's very, very minor. And to think that this is going to get figured out in two weeks just seems like a huge stretch to me. Um, so unfortunately at th- this point in time, I think we might lose a little bit of regular season games. Um, you know, I think, I still think something will get done. Um, but we might miss like a couple of weeks, you know, um, hopefully no more than that. Um, but like I said, we'll see what happens. Like as, as long as they keep talking, you know, I, I, I hate it when I, when I hear these things like, Oh, they haven't, you know, they've, it's the first time they've talked in 11 days. I'm like, what else are we doing? There's nothing else going on. Like what, you know what I mean? Like get in a room and on all, sometimes they talk for like an hour and that's it. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. it an hour like come on guys like they, they need i think like they just someone needs to like lock these guys in a room and just like don't come out until you figure it out um because we're in danger of losing games here really really soon um this is usually the time of year like right after the super bowl ends that i was like all right baseball like spring training starts next week like let's go unfortunately we don't have that right now so there's just not there's just this dark void of emptiness that is going to be the 2020 2022 season at the moment and that really sucks so Lakers suck. So right now all I have is uh, Kings <laughs> hockey and the winter Olympics because the, the winter Olympics is going to end in two weeks. And then legit all I'm going to have is Kings hockey, which is not a bad thing, but usually I got baseball coming up and that's usually, you know, kind of a point of uh, happiness. And currently it's not there. And that makes me really sad. So um, MLB, sad, it's okay. MLB, MLB PA for the sake of everyone in baseball fans everywhere. We hope you figure it out, get it done. I don't really care what the deals are. I don't really give a shit as long as you have baseball on opening day. That's all I care about. Um, so hopefully it does happen. Um, but you guys let us know what you feel and think what's, what's uh, going to happen with MLB there. So I know that was a lot of different topics going on all at once, but hopefully we kind of did a little kind of almost like a rapid fire sort of kind of segment there of a lot of different things. So uh, that's going to conclude episode 85 of TLDR podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys had a great Super Bowl. Uh, it is Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day to all you lovers out there. Um, hopefully, you guys are enjoying it. If you're not uh, currently, or if, if you're single, hopefully it's single single awareness day. To, single awareness day, so so show your love to all your all your single friends and family out there too. I think single awareness day is a bad thing, bro. No, but it it's awareness. I mean, it, it's sad. 
so what it show, comes down to. So show, show love to the, to your single friends out there. Okay. They need it too. Let's include everyone in this holiday. It's not just for us couple folks out there. Um, <laughs> so hopefully you guys enjoy it somehow, or at least have some chocolate or something, at least, you know what I mean? Um, we get a burrito. Yeah. A burrito, maybe a heart shaped burrito. I don't know how, how it's possible, but you can figure it out. <laughs> Make it happen. It's almost like a quesadilla, dude. Think about it. <laughs> Dreams can come true, you know? Um, so hopefully you guys have, have, have a fantastic week. Thanks again for all your support and, and hopping on and listening to us. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Uh, have a great one. Bye.